0: You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 19th of January, 2023, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London, with me, Tom Edwards. Coming up on today's programme...
1: This has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life. I am leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. As
0: New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern surprises the nation and the world with a tearful goodbye, we look at the strategy behind her resignation. We'll also head to Paris for a check-in from this year's Maison et Objets, and we catch up with our team on the ground at this year's World Economic Forum in Davos. Plus, yes, there's more. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco has a little something for us, Faye. Hola, Tone. Today we're
2: looking at the Spanish charts, and we also find out why petty revenge is brilliant for pop music.
0: All that and more ahead here on The Briefing with me, Tom Edwards. First up on today's programme, we head to New Zealand, where Jacinda Ardern has surprised the nation and the world indeed by stepping down as Prime Minister, stating she has no more in the tank. Ardern was the youngest female leader ever when she took the role at Just 37 back in 2017, and she led the country through... Any number of challenges, the terrible terror attack, a deadly volcanic eruption, and of course, the pandemic. Well, let's get more on this now. I'm delighted to say we're joined by Lisette Raymer, Europe correspondent at NewsHub, uh, a Kiwi, of course. Um, Lisette, uh, good morning to you. um Tell us how much of a shock was this? It seems to have taken everyone by surprise.
3: Yeah, it really can't be understated, honestly. I don't think anyone was expecting it. They uh, had this Labour start of the year get-together that a lot of the journalists had attended just wanting to hear about the agenda for election year and all of a sudden Jacinda Arjun stands up and announced that upon reflection, and I think it's that point that journalists all looked at each other in horror, and uh, Upon reflection, she doesn't think she can go another four years, go through this election uh, again. So that was when she announced that she was stepping down. As I say, I think just complete shock from everyone in that room, but definitely across the country. And even now, you know, we're seeing that the whole world really is uh, flabbergasted by this decision
0: uh, well, yeah, let me ask you about specifically that, Lizette, because it, it's often been one of those strange, I mean, it's almost paradoxical in a way. Jacinda, somebody who was perhaps more popular overseas the, than at home, and maybe that accounts for the degree of, of shock that's greeted her announcement around the world. W- would you go along with that reading to a greater or lesser extent? And if that is the case, why, why was that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think we would internally in New Zealand often joke about how the world would react when they realise that our election is actually going to be quite tightly raced. It is, uh, you know, it was already st- Looking to be a very competitive election year for New Zealand, Jacinda's own polls in the country have been dropping dramatically uh, since you know the tail end of that that pandemic and the way that she really did lock down the country for such an extended period of time. Uh, her own personal popularity, I think, is almost halved since she first was elected uh, in New Zealand. So definitely, in in and amongst Kiwis, there was a, a lot of conversation about maybe it was time for her to go. Lizette, you
0: mentioned there the pressures on her in terms of how uh, polling is looking. A number of voices slightly more sceptical have said, actually, look, she's quit because she was going to face a very heavy defeat at the ballot box. Do you actually think that might have been the direction of travel when it comes to how this vote was going?
3: Absolutely. I think Jacinda Ardern speaks a lot of kindness and compassion. That is very much her brand. And because of that, a lot of people underestimate just how strategic she is, just how much of a well-seasoned political mind she is. She didn't want to lose the capital that she has, especially internationally. I mean, there's talk that she could potentially, although she doesn't admit uh, that this is an ambition of hers, but that she could potentially head off to the United Nations now. So I think for a lot of people, they saw that this was her leaving on a high note before she suffered a loss at Uh, The election this year, certainly national, uh, the opposition party has had a very difficult few years, but they've in the last year finally elected a leader who has some uh, popularity within the party, but also within the country. So I think there is a lot of people who are seeing this as a very smart move from Jacinda Ardern to protect her own reputation so that she can go on and have a very bright future, a bright career on the world stage where she has really been so popular.
0: Well, yeah. And Lizette, what does this mean in terms of the discourse? Because it was interesting, even if we just pay attention to what she specifically said in the speech, you know, she talked about leaving um, Kiwis with the belief that you can be kind and strong, that you can have empathy, but be decisive, to be optimistic, but focused. And a lot of what she had done was squaring a number of circles. She was uh, a really interesting political character when it came to her ideology. Does some of that consensual approach, that reasonableness, uh, pragmatism, her focus always on On family, on humanity in politics. Is there a risk that some of that great progress that she made and of which she was an exemplar, I don't know, might we see the end of that as we see her depart? Is that a worry?
3: I I don't think so because I think the thing is, and this is interesting even from your perspective that you talk about it in that way, a lot of people in New Zealand, and this is where the problems were arising, would see Jacinda as perhaps expressing those feelings, but not always backing them up. There were moments during the pandemic which have really the the whole country was questioning just how compassionate she was being to those people who desperately wanted to get their businesses up, uh, up and running again, to those people who, who really wanted to be able to go and support their families through cancer treatments or get home to New Zealand to attend funerals of loved ones. And she wasn't letting New Zealanders return home to New Zealand if they were overseas because of this intense lockdown she'd put in place. So I think that narrative of Jacinda being so kind and compassionate is almost what has been her downfall within New Zealand but I do think there has always been a lot of uh, appreciation during those immense moments of crisis for her leadership and the way she has led first and foremost with that empathy and that has always been so real and so genuine and that is what has got New Zealanders through some of those tough times, you talk about the volcanic eruption uh, and the terror attack of course and then absolutely in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, that was very comforting to a nation that was very confused and uh, worried and uh, felt out of control like the whole world did. So uh, I think a lot of people will hope that, that that cannot be a Jacinda Ardern thing but that can be a Kiwi thing, that that's the New Zealand nature to always try and lead with compassion, uh, regardless of who is the Prime Minister.
0: Yeah, I think some of those contradictions about her image and what her politics represented uh, between, you know, the domestic market and internationally is super fascinating. And we'll probably come back to that in due course on Monocle 24. But Lizette, just while we have you, I wanted to ask you a bit about one thing I think we can all agree that we lose, which is a really inspirational and um, agenda setting female leader on the world stage. And we have far too few anyway. I guess that's surely one, whether we're in New Zealand or anywhere else, that we can say, look, this is a. Real shame that we've lost someone who was an important global leader. Sure, maybe New Zealand's not the biggest, um, but it's always punched above its weight in terms of soft power. And actually, in Jacinda, there was someone who was a real exemplar of that, and we're all much the poorer for that.
3: Yes, for sure. And Jacinda Ardern was New Zealand's third female prime minister, so I think New Zealand has always prided ourselves on 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 pushing uh, forward and being, you know, very advanced in the way we don't view gender as this big factor that needs to be brought it brought into play. It's very much just, okay, she can be the world you know, she can be one of the best prime ministers in the world. Doesn't matter what her gender is. She can have her brand new newborn with her in the General Assembly. Uh, and, and that doesn't need to affect her speech making abilities or her ability to do the job. She has has definitely been an inspiration for many people. But what is very cool in New Zealand is that now is very normal. It doesn't need to be a headline grabbing thing. That's certainly not what Jacinda Ardern has ever wanted it to be. And already, when you talk about who might replace her, uh, one of the front runners certainly is a female, uh, and and she looks likely, or she could be, you know, one of the top two at, 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 the, vo- at the voting ballot when when it comes to uh october which has when they set the election so uh interesting times indeed
0: exactly yeah true progress will be when i don't even need to mention it so hopefully we're closing on that and as ever <laughs> uh, the kiwis leading the world in that lizette look thanks for making sense a crazy day really but uh, great to have your insights that was uh, lizette raymer europe correspondent at new zealand's news hub right now uh, let's change tack uh, and cross over to hear from page reynolds she's standing by with the day's other news headlines
1: thanks tom the United States and Germany head for a showdown over weapons Kiev said could decide the fate of the war. US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin will meet new Defence Minister Boris Pistorius today, ahead of a meeting of allies at Ramstein Air Base tomorrow. Around 65% of high school teachers in France were attending nationwide strike action against a planned pension reform today. The strikes are a make-or-break moment for President Macron's reform programme, which plans to raise the official age at which people can stop work from 62 to 64. And a new report shows Facebook approved a series of online ads promoting violence in Brazil, days after protesters ransacked government buildings. Earlier this month, thousands of supporters of Brazil's far-right former president, Jair Bolsonaro, stormed the nation's Congress, Supreme Court and Presidential Palace in an attack lasting more than three hours. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Tom.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Paige. Right, let's get the latest business news now from Bloomberg's Ewan Potts, who joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you, Ewan. How do we find you this fine Thursday? Hi, Tom. I am very well, thank you. Jolly good. Now, um, big strikes. Uh, we've been used to seeing and hearing a lot about them here in the UK. More coordinated, uh, coordinated strike action. Not in the UK, though. Tell us more.
4: Yeah, Tom, you'll remember a time many years ago, some call them halcyon days, when we could look uh, across the English Channel aghast at the state of industrial relations in France. Well, after many months of strikes across the UK over the last few months, France is again being gripped by a mass walkout today. Uh, Coordinated protests against plans by President Emmanuel Macron to reform the uh, ailing French pension system. Workers across sectors, including the railways, schools, hospitals, uh, air traffic controllers, and many others, taking part in the 24-hour strike. Now, uh, under fire is uh, Macron's plans to lift the minimum straight pension age from 62 to 64 uh, over the next few years. The plan was originally to lift it to 65. If you look at retirement ages uh, across uh, Europe, France does have one of the lowest at 62, along with Sweden and many other countries. Germany, the UK, and Spain retirement doesn't start until 66. This is the minimum age for drawing the state pension. In Italy, it is 67. So Macron uh, wants to bring that up uh, a little bit nearer to uh, the European average, but the unions are not happy. Coordinated action by eight. Of the biggest uh, labour unions in France, the uh, head of the Communist Party and the boss of the massive uh, CGT union have set a goal of having at least a million people protesting ac- across uh, France today. And uh, there are warnings from the CGT that this will be the first day of many strikes.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a real sort of make-or-break moment, as Paige mentioned in the headlines, for uh, the reform program uh, that, that Macron is trying to, to get through. One, we will watch with a great deal of interest. You and um, let's look to the skies as well. Well, always like to talk aviation with you, um, Ewan, and there has been some airline news. Uh, You mentioned Italy uh, with its uh, higher um, retirement age, but some airline news around Italy as well.
4: Yeah, Lufthansa, Europe's biggest airline, is to buy a minority stake in uh, ITA Airways. Now, ITA Airways is the successor uh, to Alitalia. You remember, this has been a very long running saga for the Italian government. This airline has lost billions and billions over the years. It was set up just after the Second World War and it officially ceased operations in late 2021, finally knocked out by the pandemic. And it was reborn as ITA. It's been in uh, state uh, ownership since then, but now, uh, Deutsche Lufthansa has said it's going to take a stake in the Italian airline. We don't know exactly how much, but Bloomberg understands it could be about 40% uh, initially, does give Lufthansa the chance to expand in one of Europe's key markets. Italy is actually the number three market after Germany and the US for Lufthansa. And for Rome, it gives them a chance to rid themselves of an asset that has soaked up billions of euros of uh, state support. Uh, Lufthansa will also gain, of course, access to lucrative transatlantic travel slots, and also important to prevent arrival from building up a base in northern Italy, which is uh, dangerously close to its own hub in Munich. So uh, Germany's Lufthansa, are hoping to make a a good deal out of this buy of uh, italy's ita
0: fascinating stuff um ewan many thanks for your time as always that was our good friend ewan potts from bloomberg joining us here on the briefing on monocle 24 You are still listening to The Briefing here on Monocle 24. One or two small technical snafus along the way. Uh, We're not heading to Paris, as I previously promised. Uh, Next up on today's programme... We're turning to our team on the ground at this year's World Economic Forum, not too far away, uh, up in the mountains in Davos. Just under two days to go before the sessions wrap up. And Monocle's Tom Webb is here to tell us what is still left on the agenda. Good afternoon to you, Tom. How do we find you? Nice and brisk up there in the mountains? (laughs) Yeah, of
5: course. Hi, Tom. Um, It is minus 13. I am standing in the snow. My laptop on a bin, using Wi-Fi in a building they won't let me into. Um, but otherwise, I'm My God, someone's pushing me out the way. Uh, there's lots of photographs being taken where I'm standing. So uh, okay. yes, busy, busy, busy.
0: Oh, live on the ground. This is very exciting. We can hit, we can sort of hit, imagine the scene that you've you've painted for us. Um, before we look to what else is going to be crammed into the last couple of days of the schedule, Tom. Um, have you got any highlights so far of Davos? And um, what have you made of uh, this year's gathering?
5: My daily check-ins, I try and and, uh, show a bit of stardust uh, (laughs) in my coverage. So uh, it's oh so very unglamorous up here this year. Uh, Only one G7 leader, Olaf Scholz. He's been pounding the pavement with his entourage like some sort of Batman villain. I actually ended up in the gutter because I I didn't look up for my phone and... uh, that's where I was pushed. Uh, meanwhile, the US and the UK, they've sort of sent their Z-list. Um, mm. If you want to talk business with the UK, you'll be diverted to a man called Brant Shapps, a man who doesn't even have any brand recognition <laughs> back at home. Uh, but I promised some stardust. Uh, deep in the snow at the Davos Golf Club, uh, the Goals House, as it's now called, it's probably the most elitist and unfriendly of the so-called public buildings in Open Davos, or closed Davos, as I've hilariously now dubbed it. Um, Princess Beatrice was there uh, at an event. Uh, about companies that have been grappling with a shrinking talent pool. Less talent, less innovation, less business efficiency. That's what she was going on about. Um, I approached her uh, without curtsy. Maybe that's why she didn't want to do an interview (laughs) or she was scared to death if I'd mention her father or cousin. But she declined uh, while I was batting those doughy eyes at me. So there has been some...
0: Princess Stardust here. Uh, lovely stuff. I wondered if you'd be able to work a sort of royal connection into the mix, Tom. Congratulations for doing that. Um, let's talk a little bit then about what else is still to be decided. And I guess one of the great criticisms of the annual jamboree, uh, every time it rolls around, is that you know it's a talking shop. You've already mentioned it's too elitist, um, the rarefied air. Um, what, what optimism, or what are you hearing from the people that you're talking to about the actual, you know, substantive work that can be done maybe some real consequential decisions that that could be made is there anything that's still to be decided that could be before things wrap up this year
5: Well, hold on to your hat, because it's all about to change. Greta has arrived. No one really knew what time she'd arrive or what she'd do, because presumably it was a veritable triathlon for her, cycling, swimming, whatever she was doing to get (laughs) up this mountain. Um, I mean, I don't like burning fossil fuels myself, but if you do want to go to Davos, you do have to burn a lot of them. She is now here. She's appeared alongside Fatty Barol, who is the executive director of the IEA. Um, she recently sent an open letter to the CEOs of the fossil fuel companies uh, demanding they immediately stop opening new oil and gas and coal. Um, she's here. She's not a happy bunny. She's got good reason to be unhappy. The oil presence here is huge. BP, Chevron, Saudi, Amoco, to name a few. Uh, Guterres gave them a, a frosty reception yesterday, claiming that the big oil had peddled the, the big climate lie. Uh, climate has always been on the agenda here in Davos, but never in a meaningful way. Her presence, I think, is changing the debate in a very big way. Uh, open dialogue now, I think. She's here on the streets. I think some change is possible now.
0: Uh, Tom, well, we shall await uh, further news on that front. Uh, in due course. Thanks for adopting your bin side (laughs) reporting position for us. That was our Tom Webb uh, reporting live from uh, Davos and we'll be hearing more from our team on the ground at the WEF uh, through the rest of this week here on Monocle24. Check monocle.com for the latest schedule. Uh, Next update's coming at 1800 London time, uh, 1900 if you're on CET on the daily a little later today. You're listening to The Briefing. Next up on the show, we go to Paris. Monocle's design editor is the one and only Nick Manisse, and he should be at large for us at this year's Maison et Objets. Paris, this is London calling. Nick, can you hear me?
6: I I can hear you now, and I'd appreciate (laughs) it if you didn't refer to me as large.
0: Editor at large, Nick. Come on, get oh, with sorry, the sorry, get sorry, with no, the terminology. Now tell me. I've really been working on my felt figure. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, listen, Maison et Objet. Uh, I've reported from there myself. A huge uh, event, very important on the design uh, calendar. Why does it matter so much? And what have you discovered in the few short hours in which you've been on the ground in the French capital?
6: I, I think for me, this this fair. I mean, it's probably got some parallels with Salona Del Mobile, but it's, it's this opportunity for brands from all over the world to come. It is really one of those, uh, you know, I, I guess, flagship events that brings in. I mean, from where I'm standing, I've, I've got Andre World from Spain, Nanny Marquina from Spain as well. Uh, I've got Martinelli <laughs> Luce behind me. Uh, you know, so we've got Italian and and... and spanish brands there le heritier which is a, a french decoration brand and, and this is just at one intersection in the trade halls uh, just north of paris so it, it, it's just that opportunity i guess uh, uh, for, for everyone to come together not only for designers uh, i mean i think philippe stark w- won the pass at one stage earlier but also uh, i guess the people working at these brands to connect uh, to build partnerships because uh, you know when they're working on projects You might have tables from somewhere if you're a contractor and you might grab lighting from somewhere else. So i guess it's, it's a massive networking event more than more than anything and that's why it, it is significant
0: yeah absolutely and, and as you say for people to come uh, together it's all well and good talking about these things in the abstract uh, we do a pretty good job of that on uh, monoclon design of course your your design program nick but to to be there in the flesh is what is what really matters tell me a little bit i do appreciate you've not been there for very long any trends that you've noticed straight away or things you're expecting to hear and see a lot more about that might mark the cards for our many design efficient who are tuning in
6: i mean I, I i know we we do talk about trends and we we are conscious of, of using that word because you know what is necessarily trendy isn't all, it doesn't always have longevity uh but i, I guess a, a trend or an immediate observation that that really jumped out at me is uh, really an emphasis from a lot of brands a lot of the wares they're showing on earthy sort of tones Using raw timber, uh, using uh, I guess uh, very very pared back uh, fabrics and and textiles that haven't had a lot of treatment. There's there's this really earthy uh, vibe, is maybe the word uh, that 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 is carrying across a a host of different stalls. But I think that speaks to something larger. It's, It's not just about aesthetics. It's it's about people, I guess, wanting or brands as well wanting uh, to use, you know, natural timbers that don't have a lot of VOCs that haven't been heavily treated. And, and by extension, that means you get something that looks relatively raw. And it's, and it's, it's the same with textiles as well. So that seems to be a, a visual trend that probably actually speaks to more of a, a sustainability line and, and the appeal from the consumers for, for I guess, materials and products that, uh, yeah, certainly speak better to or have better environmental values.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, Nick, Um, and uh, we shall look forward to hearing more from you from the event. Will you be talking about this on Monocle on Design, filing some dispatches in our daily newsletter? I imagine you're going multimedia, as always.
6: There's going to be both. So we've got uh, Monocle Minute on Monday. If readers keep their uh, eyes peeled for that, we'll have a, a wrap of the event. Uh, from a, I guess an a, a opinionated perspective from myself uh, and then Monocle Minute On Design newsletter which hits people's inboxes on Wednesdays will have a full breakdown of lots of the stands here so you really get some analysis post-event who we thought was a standout uh, and, and who you should keep an eye on and, and perhaps furnish your home with their products.
0: Lovely stuff, Nick. We shall await those updates in due course with great excitement. That was our Nick Manise, who's on the ground in Paris at Maison a. Objet Look and listen out for more from him in the days ahead. Time, though, is short on today's briefing and we have a very important piece of business outstanding. You know, it's that time of the week. It's Monaco's Fernando Augusto Pacheco. He's here in studio for the Global Countdown. Fernando where are we going?
2: We are heading to Spain, Tong. And and it's interesting hearing from Nick about the trends at Mazon Objet. And I think there are trends as well in the Spanish charts. And I would say even in the global charts now. I think for everyone who has been wronged in their romantic life, I think this is going to be a good week. And I do like a petty revenge, Tom. I mean, not personally, but perhaps musically. But more on it later.
0: We We will come back to that. <laughs> revenge is a dish best served with a... Funky synth line. Oh, yeah, And a bit of vivid figure. We'll come to it. What are we talking about? All will be revealed. Uh, where do we always start with the global countdown, Fernando? Our listeners know by now we start with number five. Absolutely,
2: and it's a great track. It's been actually in the charts for quite a few months because it feels, more, uh, as a, it feels more like a summer song, and it is. I mean, the video for it is incredible. That's how summer videos should be made because it's quite raw and fun, and, you know, and it shows real people on the beach, like old ladies with their fans, and she's eating kind of hand and crisps uh, <laughs> in, in, in an unspecified beach in Spain. It's, of course, the wonderful uh, Rosalia with Despecha. Let's have a listen.
0: Rosalia, uh, summer sounds. It's interesting, isn't it? Lots of our Spanish brothers and sisters enjoy quite balmy weather all year round. They don't have a freezing cold winter to no. escape from. But I guess there is, maybe to a degree, people want to... Hear and feel
2: a little sunshine, even if it's not directly overhead. Absolutely, and I have to say about something about Rosalía. These days, Tony, you're gonna to look here in the charts. There are more Latin American artists doing well in Spain than vice versa. But I think Rosalía is kind of a, a unique in that sense. She's doing so well in Latin America. I mean, e- even in Brazil, uh, you know, she, this song was playing everywhere, um, all over Europe as well. So she's a fantastic name. She's very creative too. Who's at number four? Number four, we have a Spanish singer, Quevedo, and a Mike Towers from Puerto Rico. Uh, and again, continuing with the summer vibe tone, the song's called Playa del Inglés. I don't know if you've ever been there, a beach resort in the Gran Canaria. i never been, but apparently, you know, there's a lot of partying going on. Uh, I don't know anything about that, Fernando. <laughs> it's, it, it's a very silly track. I'll read some of the <laughs> lyrics for you later, but let's have a listen. It's quite, you know, dancey and, and fun. And it's silly, but, you know, can be fun. Let's have a listen. No Cuídos mal aquella vez,
5: del pire y templos en playa del inglés. Yo no quiero
1: ser tu ex, yo no me frunza el ce.
2: And you know what I like about the global countdown? Every week I learn a new thing because I couldn't actually translate the whole lyrics. So I have to ask for our help of our Spanish colleagues here in the office. Like, Pereito, what was that? Apparently it's twerking. So uh, there's a line says, I was twerking at the square at the Playa del Inglés. And you know, it's a song. It's literally about holiday twerking, having fun, and dating around.
0: Twerking hard, or hardly (laughs) twerking, as no one in any office has ever said. Uh, Let's move on to number three. Now, Fernando, sometimes I get a preview of the uh, artists' names, Mm. and when I first saw this, it just said, number three, BizRap. And I thought it was a quick rundown <laughs> of the latest business headlines. That's not
2: correct. <laughs> That's not correct. I mean, this guy is doing great business. See, See what I'm doing there? Uh, so Rap is a name you should know, actually. And everyone that doesn't know Bizarrep, they should learn because he's, he's an incredible guy. He's only 23 years old. He's a producer uh, from Argentina. And he has these music sessions where he invites a musician. It can be anyone, really. And they record the song in, in the video. So there's not even a name for the song. So, for example, And number three, he invited Quevedo, he's back, and number three. And it's called Music Sessions 52. But this is a massive hit worldwide. And he doesn't need to spend a lot of money to make a huge video. It's literally the artist singing in a very small studio, very simple, but the beats are incredible. So it's always a good combination. Clearly there was a market for that. Mm. And I think Argentina, if you ask me, which market in Latin America for music would do very well in 2023? I mean, Argentina, for sure. What an incredible Country musically these days, and Biza Rap is the main name here. Uh, let's have a listen. Biza Rap with Quevedo, Music Sessions 52.
1: <laughs>
0: One can imagine that soundtrack to quite a few big parties they might have been having post World Cup in Argentina. That's one of those tracks. If it's of that moment, it will kind of live with people. One imagines by association, maybe also a little bit for now.
2: Absolutely, and I love the mix. It's hip hop, trap, electronic. I mean, it's 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 a really interesting mix of kind of different uh, music genres as well. Uh, Song number two. It's, it's actually a personal favorite of mine. I do like Miley Cyrus. I mean, I love the raspiness of her voice. And this song is a really beautiful one, uh, Flowers. And again, I was talking about people being wronged romantically. Perhaps it's not as bad as our number one song here. But she did release this track on the birthday of her former lover, Leon Hemsworth. So I don't know if she was trying to signal something. And in the song, she says, I can buy myself flowers. I can love myself better uh, as well. So it's a, it's a song, Self-Empowerment, there from uh, Miley Cyrus. Shall we have a listen? I, I want to know your view on this track. Uh, Miley Cyrus with Flowers. I
1: can buy myself flowers.
2: She sounds happy. I mean, in the video, she's dancing with a, a very glamorous, I believe, a Yves Saint Laurent vintage a gold dress as well. So it's a very kind of, you know, I love myself. She's starting the year uh, on a good mood, perhaps.
0: A nice upbeat message with a little susan of vindictiveness maybe yes. just, just, a, just a flavor though it's not the be-all and end-all and i would say fernando that sets it at odds with the track that's at the top of the spanish hit parade which is an absolute orgy of vindictiveness <laughs> and revenge bring us up to speed what on earth is going on over Well, in Spain.
2: There, there's lots of things going on as well, and that's why I decided to choose Spain. That's not the country she's from, but that's the country where she lived for quite a, a large period of her life as well. It's Shakira with Bizarrap, So I think Shakira is very smart on that one because even when you talk about a diss track, she knew that Bizarap, you know, Everyone listens to his music sessions, perhaps more even so than Shakira these days. So she said, you know, this is a mass, This is a big platform for me to, you know, to create my little revenge with an um, amazing pop track. And Tom, 150 million views in seven days. And one of the lyrics of this track says, I only make music. Sorry if it splashes on you. <laughs> I love that because, of course, we splash on her husband, uh, P- ex-husband, of course, Piquet, because, of course, he cheated on her. I mean, she, she she's really angry about it. She's
0: very angry. And just to bring some stragglers up with the detail, of course, uh, Gerard Piquet, legendary Barcelona and Spain footballer, they've had this very public falling out. And Faye, we, well, maybe we should listen to a little bit of it first, but there are some very specific things that she says. He's picking them up and running with them. She's picking up and running with them. The world watches. It's one of those delicious maelstroms that is just... You can't look away from it.
2: I love it. Let's have a listen uh, to Shakira and Bizarrep Music Sessions 53. She did impress the the financial markets as well when she says in the lyrics, "You traded a Ferrari for a Twingo, you trended, you, sorry, you traded a Rolex for a Casio." But the thing is, Tom, all the brands, they're benefiting from this. Of course, the shares for Rolex, they went up uh, the day after the release of this track. uh, And and Casio shares went down, but I think they are picking up again because a lot of people are mentioning uh, the brand Casio on social media. They've got
0: a nine-fold increase in Google searches, which I guess is good news for a mass market player like uh, Casio. And I mentioned uh, Senor Piquet. He has been having some fun with it. He certainly had a cheeky look on his face. He arrived at work driving a Twingo. Of course. Now, what do you think about this, Fernando? Is he owning it or is he, is it all a is it all a bit unseemly <laughs> and embarrassing? Where do you stand?
2: I think he's owning because I think if he if he decided to be quiet, then we definitely lose lose out on this. But I think I don't know if personally they're having fun. I don't know if they have a private conversation. She said, "Listen, I'm going to release a diss track. Can you just you know keep it quiet and keep it light?" I mean, she did put a witch on her house. Well,
0: apparently, she overlooks her ex mother in law. Yes gerard's mum, and she's put this frankly terrifying looking witching which effigy thing with the horned fingers leering over i think these guys need some time apart Faye.
2: but you know i'm going to say something you know if she's a talented musician i mean that's what you do if someone cheats on you right i mean why are you gonna keep quiet when you can be even richer with this track i mean uh, i mean that's what i would do if i would be a pop star
0: Lessons for life from Fernando (laughs) Augusto Pacheco via Shakira and Gerard Piquet. That is today's (laughs) briefing. What a show it was. Uh, Big thanks to Paige Reynolds, our producer. Thanks to our researcher, Andre Nikolai Pimentouin, and our studio manager, Adam Heaton, one and all. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. That's noon in London. That is your Thursday briefing. Thanks for tuning in.